All right, we are continuing. In fact, we're in our final week this week in our First Peter series, How to Live When You're Passing Through. How many of you, let me start off with a question. How many of you like being told what to do? Nobody. Not one person. Ah, I got a couple over here. Like being told what to do. Not many. I don't know many people that like being told what to do. Um, I think most of us like to be able to do whatever we want to do. We don't like other people telling us what to do. We know that's true with children. If, you're, if you have children, you've been around children, right? How many, how many of you heard this one? You're not the boss of me. <laughs> Am I the only one? Anyone hear that one? Yeah. How about you can't make me? I don't know. I'd love to hear what your response is to that, right? I'd be like, watch me. We're about to, you're about to... <laughs> I don't know what it is, but we have all these expressions, right? It happens to teenagers, it continues, right? Why do I have to do this? Why can't I do this? We don't like being told what to do. If we're honest with ourselves as adults, it kind of continues. We don't like being told what to do. You didn't raise your, a couple people raised their hand, but not many. None of us like being told what to do. In fact, we would say, if you're going to tell me what to do, you're going to have to pay me for it. It's called a job, right? You get to... Someone gets to tell you what to do because they're paying you for it. We don't like being told what to do. And so maybe when we come to the passage we're coming to this morning, it's why many of us will struggle with the phrase that we're coming to this morning in our passage. We've been talking about how do you live in this world when you're passing through. How do you live when you're in exile, when you're a sojourner, when this world's not your home as a Christ follower, and yet you live in this world? And we said a lot of times there's different options Christians take. Sometimes it's hopeless compromise. I'm just going to go along to get along, just live in the world, just, just, just go and whatever's going on in the world around me, I'll do that. Or fearful isolation, I'm going to pull back, I'm going to put up the pull down the shades, put up the walls, hide myself. I'm going to isolate. Sometimes it's restless revolt. I'm going to fight. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to you know, take up, you know, whatever, arms and, and fight against whatever's going on. Or we said a biblical response, one biblical response we're considering is faithful engagement. Faithful to God, engaged with the world. Proximity to the world and yet distinct from the world. In the world, not of the world. This is faithful engagement that the Bible calls us to. And the verse we've been looking at to say, what does faithful engagement look like? First Peter chapter 2, verse 17 has these four directives in it that we've been going through. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, and the one we're coming to this morning, honor the emperor. Honor the emperor is the one we come to this morning. Now, as I was sharing this with uh, this morning with our elders as we were praying, one of the elders said, oh, this is the easiest message you ever had to preach. He said, we don't have an emperor. Just close the book, walk off the stage, you're done. There's no emperor. I said, well, I could go that way. I wish you had mentioned that a couple weeks ago. <laughs> but since I prepared a sermon, we might as well go through it. Honor the emperor. It could be a challenging one be a challenging one for us. What does that mean? What does that look like in the life of a Christian? I remember uh, over a year ago, during all that was going on in, the, in our world, in our country, all the different aspects that were taking place, all the different tensions that were being felt, I remember getting an email from someone who attended Mount Hope. And that was actually the topic of the email. That was the subject of the email. 
This person wanted to know, how do I honor the emperor? How do I live that out in my life, in this situation that I feel like I'm in, in the tension that I feel like I'm feeling? We don't have an emperor. Um, and you could say, well, we have a president, but I don't know the president's not the same as an emperor. I think honor the emperor, you can think of any government authority, any authority really in your life um, that might be there, the law, the legislature, the different authorities that are local or national, all kinds of authorities that could be there that I think would fall into this category of honor the emperor. Well, as we look at what that means for us this morning, I want to look at the larger context of chapter 2, verse 17. So if you have your Bible, I invite you to open it to 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 2. And if you, want to, if you don't have a Bible with you, you can use your chair rack Bible. And if you are using your chair rack Bible, it should be about page 1014, page 1014 and 1015, and that'll be about where you're at. I want to read the context surrounding verse 17. Honor the emperor and these four phrases we've been looking at don't occur in a vacuum. There's a context before them and after them that I think it's important for us to be aware of as we are looking at what that means for us today. So 1 Peter Chapter 2, verse 13. Peter says, Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. We'll look at more of the passage in a few minutes, but I want to stop there just for now. And I want to talk about just basically two points this morning, uh, and then we're going to have some time for discussion and questions, and we'll try and leave a good amount of time for that as as uh, no doubt this topic brings about some discussions and questions that we've already been getting this morning. So we'll have some time for that. But let me just give you two points that I think we get out of this. And the first one is what this passage does not mean. And then we'll talk about what it does mean. Honor the emperor does not mean do everything he or she says to do. I think it's important that we draw this distinction at the beginning because it could be seen that, well, the Bible says honor the emperor. That means I have to do everything, whatever the emperor, the government, the powers, the law is to do. Is that what it's saying? I think if we just think through it a little, we have to say, well, that can't be what it's saying and what it means because the Bible uses honor in a lot of different places. And it very rarely means do everything that that person says. In fact, in this verse, just a little bit before this, remember the phrase was honor everyone. Well, we didn't take honor everyone to mean that you are to do everything that everyone says. 
We took that to mean that in our relationships, into our interactions, that we are to act a certain way towards people, especially towards people who disagree with us, especially towards people who may take a different posture to things, that we are to honor everyone around us to the best of our ability. So honor didn't mean, well, do everything that's, that's said to you by everyone. That's the way you honor them. I've had this discussion perhaps most over the years um, with people who have come from difficult home situations and maybe come to Christ later in life and they see this fifth commandment to honor your father and mother and they say, how can I possibly live that out? You don't know what my father and mother were like. You don't know what my dad was like. You don't know what my mom was like. If you, if you knew the abuse, if you knew the... Um, you know, all the things that went on in our home and all the unloving and unhonorable ways that we were treated, then there's no way that anyone would tell me to honor that person. And usually the next thing that happens is it results in a conversation of, well, what does it look like to honor? And maybe we have, maybe it doesn't look like what you think it looks like. Maybe Honor, it doesn't mean to obey everything. It doesn't mean to, it certainly doesn't mean to agree with everything that's said. But can you still honor without agreeing? Can you disagree? Can you, and, and, and still honor? Because think about who Peter is saying this about. Peter says, honor the emperor. Who's the emperor at this time? It's a man named Nero. If you know anything about Nero, towards the end of his life, uh, right just before his death in 68 AD and the years leading up to it, he basically killed Christians for sport and for entertainment. The great fire in Rome of 64 AD, many believe that Nero might have said it himself, but he blamed it on the followers of the way or the Christians at the time. And, and they would be persecuted and they would be sought out and he would put them in the uh, you know, in the, in the Colosseum or to be, to be eaten by animals for sport. He would burn them as torches at his parties to provide light. He was a man who um, killed uh, his own mother, had his own mother killed, had his first wife killed, uh, beheaded for uh, allegedly committing adultery, and his uh, second wife, when she was pregnant, he kicked her to death. This is the emperor that Peter says honor the emperor. So whatever honor means, what it can't mean is approve of everything that this person says or does because he's saying this about Nero, who's on the throne at the time. It doesn't mean that you're to obey everything because as Christians, honor the emperor does not mean do everything he says because you should always do as Christians what God says to do. Peter himself understood this and lived this out. Earlier in Peter's life, in the early church, in the book of Acts, we're told that the authorities at the time didn't want Peter and the apostles preaching about Christ. In fact, they said, you can no longer preach about Christ. You can no longer do this. These authorities told Peter that. His answer in Acts chapter 5, 29 was this, but Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. 
Peter understood that he could say honor the emperor, but it does not mean that you have to do and obey everything the emperor says. It's different. It's different. Now, no doubt, when you take that stance, there's going to be consequences for it. It's going to be difficulties. And you'll have to decide at times what that stance is for you. What civil disobedience might look like for you. There are times where we might all agree that there's mandatory times for a Christian to practice civil disobedience. It would be mandatory not to obey the authorities at the time. And and, and the two times might be one, when you are told to do something that God directly tells you not to do. Or two, when you are told not to do something that God clearly tells you that you are to do. That uh, those are clear times where a Christian is going to have to say, no, I have to follow God and not man. There's examples of scripture of both. I mean, one, when you're told not to do something that God tells you to do is this example of Peter and the apostles. When they say, don't preach the gospel. And Peter says, well, I can't not preach the gospel. I got to obey God and not man on this one. I cannot not preach the gospel. I cannot not tell people about Jesus. Example of the former uh, where you are told to do something that God expressly tells you not to do might be in Exodus in the Old Testament, the Hebrew midwives who are expressly told to when a, when a, uh, child is born and it's a boy to kill that child by throwing them out into the river, into the water to, that they might be killed because Pharaoh was afraid of the uh, Hebrew children that were being born. And so the Hebrew midwives, they did not follow that order uh, because they had to follow God and not man. And actually God praises them for, for that action. Both these times we would say, well, there's mandatory times where a Christian could say, well, yeah, I have to obey God and not man. But then I think there are also times where it's permissible to practice civil disobedience, even though it may not be mandatory. Those are the times where it's a little bit more harder to understand what those times are. And that's where you and I, and you'll have to determine, well, what are the biblical standards? Where does the line come there? Because more and more in our world, we've said, how are we to live in a world that's secular and increasingly divided? In a world like that, more and more, you're facing that. I'm facing that. We're facing that together as a church. And you'll draw the line somewhere, and wherever you draw that line will have consequences. Some of you are teachers, and you're in a school, and you're being told to teach things that you don't agree with. That you would think, well, these aren't in line with God's, who God is and God's purposes. And, and you've been struggling. How do I navigate that? Is this the line? Do I say no? Is this where I walk away? Is this where I give up my job? Is this, and you're navigating that. You're trying to figure that out. Do I try and change things through the system? Do I, do I try and advocate for a different way? Do I find a way around it? Some of you are in HR departments, maybe, that you had to implement things that were difficult for you to implement. It's hard. And we find ourselves in this place where we struggle at times. 
And it's maybe not that, and maybe it's not a time where we say, well, this is a mandatory, a Christian cannot do this, but it's those times where it's getting into an area that's hard as a Christian to walk in. The world we're living in, there's decisions that have to be made. I've got a, I've got a friend who I've been talking with and uh, who I pray with who's, who's experiencing just this. He's on the front lines of this aspect of trying to figure out what his responsibility is. He, uh, he said I could share this. He's, he's been in the military for 16, over 16 years. And he's been serving in the military. He's gone overseas. He's, he's been deployed. He's been serving uh, his country. And he enjoys doing that. He's been faithful doing that. He's been a good soldier. But in his conviction, one of the lines he's drawn, one of the things he feels is as, as a Christian, and for him, he uh, chooses not to take the vaccine and applied for a religious exemption against that in the military. And those religious exemptions have, have uh, you know, been said there's a process for that. And so he applied for the religious exemption for that and was denied the exemption. And then he had to decide, well, would he go for an appeal? And so he did. He went through the appeals process, and he just sent me a text that just last Friday he found out his appeal was denied, and that within two weeks, he either has to comply, be disciplined, and eventually discharged from the military that he wants to serve in, that he has served in. It's not the only one. There's lots of people that are in those situations. I've got another friend who has a son out at the Air Force Academy in a similar situation, waiting to hear whether he'll be able to stay and finish school. There's state troopers that in recent months, have you been watching the news recent days, have been let go. There's hospital and workers that have been let go. And I'm not saying those are all for Christian or religious reasons. They're not. Everyone has their own reasons. That's not what I'm saying. But I am saying that as Christians, at some point, you'll probably draw a line someplace, and we may draw it in different places. We can, we can know that, right? That there are places where good Christians disagree on where certain lines, and we understand that, right? And I hope that we understand. Over the last year, we definitely understand we disagree on some things. But we also should understand that we are to love one another, care for one another, Take care of one another, especially in situations like this where someone experiences consequences for their decisions and their actions. How do we take care of one another? How do we love one another? It's true that when you take a stand and you say, well, you know, I can honor, but I'm not going to obey in this, in this situation because of my commitments to Christ, that there'll be consequences. Well, what does honor mean? If it doesn't mean obey, what does it? Honor the emperor means when you do what God says to do, one thing it means, instead of what the emperor says to do, you do it in a cross-shaped way. You do it in a Christ-honoring way. You do it in a Christ-glorifying way. Uh, one word for this uh, cross-shaped life is the word cruciform that you and I as Christians are called to live a cruciform life, a life that is one like Christ would live if he were living our life. That's what it is to be a disciple of Jesus. 
And in fact, that's the way one man, Dallas Willard, defines what a disciple of Jesus is. To live my life the way Jesus would live my life if he were living my life. A cross-shaped life. And in circumstances like this where you find yourself, Peter saying, honor the emperor in a situation where it's a, a difficult to do maybe, we look at what Peter writes, picking up in verse 19. Peter continues in this passage that we've been reading, for this is a gracious thing. When mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. That's an important word there. While suffering unjustly. Not when you deserved it, but suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure, but if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God, when you do good and suffer for it. This is the cruciform life. This is the Christ-shaped life. And this is, Peter goes on to explain it. For to this you have been called because, how can you do that? Because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. For he himself bore our sins in his body on a tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. The verse we read, for to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example is what the scripture tells us. This is the cruciform life. That you may be called to situations where you feel like I have to disagree or maybe even disobey, but Peter says, but do it in an honoring way. Do it in a way that the way Christ would do it. How can I be in a situation where people are, you know, shooting barbs at me, persecuting me, saying words that are hurtful or harmful and not return in the same way? Because Christ did it and he's our example. Because Christ's spirit lives within you. Because the power that raised Christ from the dead lives in you and in me that God would help us to respond in that way, that he's our example, the cruciform life. No, it doesn't mean honor the emperor, obey and do everything that's said, and sometimes it's gonna mean not doing that, but it'll always mean honor, it still means honor. Finding a way to respect and honor the situation. You look at Jesus, there's a few instances in scripture where Jesus interacts with government authorities, not many. You've got the coin, uh, with uh, paying taxes, you know, give to Caesar what's Caesar's and to God's what's God's. You've got Herod. Uh, one time he interacts with Herod and he says, you know, you go tell that fox I'm going to do this and that. But then he interacts with Pilate directly, uh, who's the governor of the, of the region at the time. And, and Jesus, you know, Pilate says, you know, are you a king? You know, and, and Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world. And then Pilate goes on and he says, don't you know I have the power to destroy your life? 
Jesus says, you would have no authority if it were not given to you. And so interacting with the authorities of this world, I think we can draw a little bit from Jesus' interaction to say a couple things. One is the understanding that Jesus had a bigger picture in mind always. It was never just this world, this government. It was always, there's a bigger kingdom in mind that Jesus had. That my kingdom is not of this world. You're talking about kings of this world. You're talking about little fiefdoms and, and things of this world. And I'm talking about a kingdom that goes on for eternity. I'm talking about a kingdom that, that encompasses all of time and, and all people from all nations. That you and I have to have a bigger perspective of things. But also to understand that any authority on earth is only granted by God. And God is the ultimate authority. There are places in scripture where God says he allows anyone in authority to be in authority. That's hard. That's a hard scripture for me to understand when I think of Hitler's and Pol Pot and other rulers that are cruel, cruel to their people. Um, And yet scripture says that God is the ultimate one that's in control. And so I have to trust that and I have to believe that. That Jesus' example should be an example to us of how we are supposed to live. That you and I are called to honor the emperor, and honor doesn't mean always obey, but honor does mean to always respond in a way that is cruciform, that is Christ-like in any way, in whatever situation you might find yourself in, um, and respond in the way that you need to in that place. Um, think of one quote that I uh, read this week that was uh, by Martin Luther King, and uh, who was writing in his letter from a Birmingham jail in the beginning of his letter. He talked about honoring and responding in a way uh, that disagrees, but still honors. He starts out his letter from a Birmingham jail. But since I feel that you are men of genuine goodwill, because he said before this, he said, I don't usually respond to all my detractors. He said, if I did so, my secretaries would have nothing to do but respond to people who complain and detractors. But Martin, uh, Martin Luther King said, but since I feel that you are men of genuine goodwill and that your criticisms are sincerely set forth, I want to try and answer your statement in what I hope will be patient and reasonable terms. And he starts out, here's a way people, he's talking, he's writing to the eight men that basically put him in jail, why he's in jail at that moment. And yet, starts out the letter in a very honorable, honoring way, even as he disagrees. I think a good biblical example of this is Queen Esther. Queen Esther is in a situation where she is queen and there's been a death order that's put for all the Jewish people and she's a Jewish person. And her uncle Mordecai tells her, go in and talk to the king about this. Get get this order reversed. And Esther says, you can't just walk into the king's presence. You have to be summoned and invited into the king's presence. If you walk into the king's presence without being invited, you are committing treason. You you are basically signing your own death notice. But then she does it. She walks into the king's presence. She commits an act of civil disobedience. And yet, uh, the king extends grace, and then yet she goes to make her request, but first she cooks a meal, and then another meal, 
And then another meal for the king. She's very kind. Now, you could say she's wise and she's shrewd, but I can tell you she's honoring the office and the situation even while she is committing civil disobedience and disagreeing with orders that were given. So what does that look like for you? What does that look like to you? To honor the emperor, the situation that you're in. Maybe today you just need to pray, God help me, because the situation that you're in is one that I've described. You're wrestling with these things and you want to be faithful to God. You want to be faithful to the place uh, that uh, you're in and love the people that are around you and you're wrestling with those choices. We're going to go into a time of question and little discussion time, but let me pray for you first because that might be you in that situation. Let's pray for us. Lord, I just come and I... God, we come to a scripture that can be a really honest, rubber hits the road, living it out, hard scripture to live. Many in this room may have been wrestling with this word or words like this in the past year, finding themselves in situations where they feel like they're having to choose between loving you and loving the people around them, uh, honoring the emperor and following you. Lord, I pray for anyone in this room that's in that situation that you give them wisdom and clarity on what you're calling them to do and encourage on the ability and how to do that, Lord, and how to do that in a Christ-honoring, Christ-like way. Teach us, Lord, we need you to lead us on how to follow you well in the culture that we are living in, in the world that we're living in. Guide us by your Holy Spirit, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, we want to take a couple minutes for questions, and uh, I think some have already come in. There's a number there. James is going to lead us in moderating some of our discussion. I've also asked uh, Henry Hayes to join me uh, for the discussion time, so Henry's going to come up as well. If you don't know Henry, he is um, he's part of Mount Hope. He is a uh, credentialed minister. He's a preacher. He loves Jesus, but he also has served in the military for many, many years, and he uh, also is active and present in town government. Uh, he has got to know local New England politics and government for more than he probably ever <laughs> dreamed he would in the last couple of years, leading through a pandemic. And I'll give Henry a chance just to introduce himself, and then James can start with any questions we've had. Amen. Uh, so thanks, Pastor. Uh, yeah, I served uh, just shy of 30 total years in the United States Air Force, uh, left that opportunity and went straight into uh, a town manager type position. And, you know, as you imagine, there's some things that, you know, along the way I didn't agree with. Uh, and, you know, both from the uniform service and uh, serving the five supervisors plus others that I have. I have five supervisory elected officials. Uh, all of them combined is one supervisor, and there's no way that you can satisfy or even agree with five people all at the same time. Uh, and so, you know, it's, it's an interesting ride. Mm. It definitely is. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's put you in situations, I know, at times where you have had to live out this verse in, in, a, in a very delicate way. Maybe once or twice. <laughs> <laughs> All right, James, what questions do you have for Henry? <laughs> All the hard ones. So I was scrolling through the questions that, that uh, were coming in. One caught me off guard, just to start us off. 
and I'm guessing it might have come from one of uh, my students, it says, Dr. Pepper is neither a doctor nor a pepper. Please discuss. <laughs> I think we're going to just move on from that one and just, uh, just uh, keep going Please down the list. Please don't use the text line. <laughs> So there was a lot of there was a lot of questions uh, that came in on convictions versus biblical truth, and this was uh, one of them. How do we differentiate between our convictions and what is biblical truth? How do we how do we make that differentiation? Uh, read the Bible. Um, no, that's too. Sad. I'm not. I don't want to make light of it. I'm not making light of it. Um, but I do think there are some things that are clear in the scriptures that we need to live out, and there are things the scripture is unclear on, um, and we need to be um, aware of what that is in the scriptures. Don't take what someone else said about the Bible. Don't take even the preacher up here saying this is what the Bible says. Read the Bible. Learn the Bible. Learn how to interpret the Bible correctly. That's important. Um, read a book like How to Read the Bible for All It's Worth by Gordon Fee and Doug Stewart to learn how to interpret the Bible correctly because everything, everyone's an interpreter of the Bible. Every translation is an interpretation of the Bible because the translators had to make decisions on what word to use there. So learn how to read the Bible, then read the Bible, look what's in it, look where it's clear. I think we have a hard enough time reading, living out the places where it's clear. And the places where it's unclear... Um, you know, especially things that in the 21st century didn't exist in the first century. Look for principles that'll, that'll be provided. Um, but understand, then there's convictions that come out of that that are not uh, clearly stated in the Bible, yet I feel like as a Christian, this is how I'm supposed to live. Just make sure your convictions are not moved into the core area. Convictions are something that are true for me and the way that I live out my life following Christ. So... Um, James, you and I might have different convictions about different movies we'd watch, right? And that's a conviction I have. That's not something the Bible says, watch this movie and not this movie, right? Um, but my con we have to live those out individually and be careful not to make those core. <clears throat> Anything you want to add to that, Henry? Uh, I would just invite us to give ourselves a little grace in the process. Yeah. Uh, because sometimes we get so dogmatic with ourselves that, you know, we may put ourselves in a, in a tight spot when it's truly not a true biblical issue. I, it doesn't matter what color socks I wear, somebody else may feel very strongly about something in that, in that realm. I, don't, I really don't believe the Lord directs me regarding that. Next one would be, where do we draw the line of where to choose to counter a ruler aiming to serve the common good versus clear evil, for example, I think saying no to being vaccinated versus being forced into unbiblical sexual ethics feels very different to me. And so where do we arrive at biblical convictions versus spurious convictions? That uh, tails off a little bit of what you just added there. Thought I'd give you an easy one, Henry. To... Ah. Yeah. So I'm looking for another Henry, please. <laughs> <laughs> so... So, you know, really, you know, if it's clear in the Bible, it's clear in the Bible, there's, 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 that's pretty simple to me. I mean, I, you know, I, there was a preacher some years ago that I sat under, he said, it's in your Bible unless you tore it out. And if you tore it out, it's in the Bible next to you, <laughs> you know, so those things that are truly, you know, in God's word, you know, you, you follow those things. Those, you know, I, as it relates to those things where it's, 
maybe a goodwill or, or a, uh, a a will of the person based on their level of understanding and potentially facts or the lack thereof. I make a decision and I pray on my way. Yeah. I mean, really. Yeah, I mean, I feel like the person who asked this question is already answering the question because they're already making that discernment. Mm-hmm. And I think you, you do that as you, as you look through what God makes clear. They're already making a discernment. This feels different than that. And, and so you have to, you use that discernment. Some of those things are clear in scripture and some aren't. And it should feel different and it should be treated differently. It's when we treat one the same as the other that's completely clear in scripture that becomes a problem. One more, uh, how do we counterbalance other Christians who might be aggressive, possibly rude, demeaning, or dismissive when they speak out against what they consider wrong in government or society? How do we counterbalance that? So I I guess I'll go first. (laughs) Uh, So, you know, in, in, in situations like that, really it's about inviting truly the grace of God into the conversation. If you're going to enter it, you're not obligated to enter that conversation. You're really not. Right. But if you're going to offer a counter or a different type of uh, uh, input into the conversation it's called a principle of healthy descent. How do you approach to give a, a differing response? And so what sometimes what I do literally, I say, well, have you considered that this may be in play or what are the unintended consequences of x y and z i just want to make sure that we bring a fuller more full conversation yeah um i think uh being careful um about where our allegiances are and making sure our allegiances are first towards god and his kingdom and his bigger picture first um i think making sure we understand this whole series has been about exiles. <clears throat> this world isn't our home. And so when we get so caught up in the arguments about this world and what's going on and we lose sight of God's kingdom, I think that's how we get caught up sometimes in those places. If I remember that it's about a bigger kingdom, it's about God, and it's what God thinks of me, that I think I can be kind and gracious to the person in front of me and in a conversation. It's really hard in the world we live in with social media because someone across the world, their statement as maybe a Christian goes viral, and then every Christian in the world feels like they're expected to comment on it. And the Bible doesn't speak to that kind of interaction. One of the reasons we frame this series of let's have a family conversation was because what I can do is talk to people who are in the room. What I can do is say, oh, you know, it seems like we disagree or look, your tone, my tone, let's sit down and have a conversation and talk about that. And people in this room have done that with one another. And I know that's happened over the last year. And I know there's people in this room that you've sat down with someone that you know is in this room that feels that disagrees on an issue or a different side of things or it sees things differently. And you've endeavored to have a conversation and to learn and to listen. Um, I think the question is how do we disagree on things? And can we love the brotherhood, love each other, and honor God in the way that we do that? There have always been and there always will be things that good Christians, Jesus-loving, God-loving people disagree on. 
It happened in the New Testament. It certainly happens now. And, but you can't let that get in the way to divide us or to keep us from loving one another, honoring one another, and caring for one another. Yeah. So I guess that's the counterbalance. Like, show a gracious difference. And if you can't, then I would be with Henry. Don't enter the conversation. Because if you can't not revile the way Jesus did and not return the way Jesus did, then don't enter the conversation. Because you have to be able to handle it in that gracious way. Yeah, yeah and it doesn't have to be public. Mm. Especially in this age. Mm. Doesn't have to be. Because then, really, what happens is people start looking and say, aren't you a Christian? Aren't you a Christian? Why are y'all doing this in public? See? Mm. That's why I don't X, Y, and Z. That's why mm. I'm not in the church or whatever. That's why I left. Mm. Three words that we use with our students when it comes to disagreeing well uh, to think of is humbly, lovingly, and gently. That, that as we come to a disagreement, those three things, we should bring those into every conversation. To be humble, to recognize that we don't have all the answers all the time, uh, to be gentle with our words, and to be loving in the way that we respond. Um, so I hope that's helpful. Lastly, kind of a simple question, but um, I think it has a lot of meaning behind it and, and hopefully a benefit for the church. It says, how do we know God's voice slash will? How do we know God's voice? How do we recognize his voice uh, or his will? That's a simple question. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, so you had said earlier, the Bible, right? But jumping off of that, how do we recognize? Uh, so I'll give you some time to think. Go ahead. <laughs> Just all layup questions this morning. <laughs> yes. Uh, so so the um, uh, years ago, um, I remember being in a, in a conversation with uh, with a pastor, and uh, and and he, he he I think he was joking, but he he asked me a question: Was that God or was that gas? What'd you eat last night? <laughs> <laughs> because you know sometimes, or what did you watch, or what did you, what do you expose yourself to? And so there's a principle in the word that says faith comes by hearing and hearing. By the word of God. But if you, if, you, if you pull short of by the word of God, if faith comes by hearing and hearing. You ever told yourself something wrong over and over and over? Uh, you kind of build that up. And so, you know, sometimes we, our negative self-talk interacts and, and, you know, distracts from hearing from God properly. And then we question ourselves. Uh, if it lines up with the word of God, it lines up with the word of God. It is, if it, let me say it differently. If it is contrary to the word of God, it is not the will of God. I yield. Yeah, no. I mean, I, clearly it's, it's scripture is the easiest way to know the will of God. God's will is revealed to you in scripture. Usually when people ask this question, they want some specific direction on a specific issue that the Bible's not talking to. Uh, indirectly, you know, there's principles in God's word that may inform it. Uh, but I would say, listen in prayer and just keep, you know, a, a big, usually for prayer, uh, we end up talking a lot. I don't think we spend enough time listening to the Lord. Um, and so, and continuing, not just, okay, I listened, God didn't say anything, God doesn't speak to me. I think God speaks to his word, he speaks to us in prayer by his spirit, he speaks through other people, talk to other Christians who love Jesus and are traveling the same path as you, and talk with them about what you're, 
listening to God for and ask them to pray with you and for you. Would you pray that I would hear, that we would hear what God has to say? Uh, And so scripture, the Holy Spirit in my personal life, other Christians around me um, are the primary ways. And then circumstances as God leads and directs uh, are the primary ways that I look to see God's voice and hear God's voice in my life. The, the question that we get from the students a lot is thinking about college, for instance. Like, what college should I go to? What's the will of God for me in, in this situation? And God definitely cares about what school you go to, but I think he cares a lot more about who that student is going to be while they're there at that school. Are they going to live for Jesus? Are they going to be a light and a witness in that school? And so that's, that's oftentimes uh, the type of questions that we're getting as well. So one thing that I did want to mention before we wrap up here is that this, we can't get to all the questions that are coming in uh, over the phone. And so this week, the pastors are going to sit down and uh, record a video with an answer to a lot of the different questions. And that's going to get sent out in the loop. And so make sure you're watching for that so you can uh, just get a little bit more of an in-depth conversation into how do we uh, navigate some of these tough topics uh, as Christians and as a church, as a local body of Christ. Uh, and so and don't miss that as it comes out. I, I think we're wrapping up here. So we've, we've come together, Mount Hope, to, to learn, to learn what God has for us, to learn how we should live uh, as Christians, to live it out authentically so that people can see his light in us and want to know, hey, what, is, what does that person have? And I want to know more about that. And that we can live uh, in that way and, and learn to love the God that first loved us. Right? That's, that is the, the benefit of, of knowing God is that he loved us first. We now have God's love for us, in us, and then through us uh, to the world. And so God bless you, Mount Hope, as you go. Uh, have a wonderful day. Amen. Have a great week.